0: Welcome everyone, you're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg.
1: There is an Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. And so there's two of these different doctrines that the Lord hates. And we ought to hate as well because it's, it's very prevalent. These things that we're reading now are very prevalent in the church in the world right now. And we're going to look at those things in a few moments. Can I ever say
0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio with Pastor Rob Kellogg. The Christians of Pergamos were like the Christians of Corinth, as Paul wrote to them in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 9. They were too tolerant and accepting of false doctrines and immoral living, and Jesus had to rebuke them. Satan couldn't accomplish much by persecution because many did hold fast to their faith. So Satan tried to accomplish his goals by using deception. The strategy was first violence, then alliance. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's lesson.
1: Satan dwells. You know, this word Antipas, some believe that Antipas may have been the pastor of this church, and it's very possible. We know that he was martyred, and uh, and as the pastor of that church, he certainly wouldn't want to cave in and certainly wouldn't be willing to cave in to all of the negative uh, horrible things that were going on there in the temples. it was pagan idolatry, and of course uh, the the Word of God has a lot to say with that that 's one of the reasons why the children of Israel got into so much trouble early in the in the Old Testament and throughout their um, tenure in the desert and even beyond as they were in the in the land of Israel. Tertullian, who was one of the early church fathers, he had this to say he says, The blood of the martyrs' is the seed of the church and Antipas was not willing to cave in to the demands of Rome and so as a result of that it cost him his life and I'm sure that if Tertullian could do it again he would do the same thing because right now he's in the presence of the Lord and um, what could be greater than that you know the man has the ability to put this body to death but then what happens afterward Man, man can't. Uh, all man can do is kill the body And that's why you see people like um, Martin Luther and you see people uh, like um, uh, Polycarp who in their lives they were burned at the stake and they were willing to go through it because they know that it would just be a short time of pain but then an eternity. And see, we often forget about eternity. We only think about the here and now. And so it's always important for us to think of that. It's been said that a wise Christian knows which battles are worth fighting and a faithful Christian will do so. You know, we have to know what our battles are. Where are we willing to compromise? Or, or maybe compromise is not the best word, but uh, in, in our life, what areas are we willing to give a little bit of room to? And what areas in our life are we absolutely unwilling to give into? And, and, that's, uh, and that's really important. You know, what's really important to you? What's really important to you? What are you willing to fight for? Are you willing to fight for the truth? Are you willing to stand up to the gods of today, the gods of abortion and the gods of homosexuality and immorality, the gods of sexual perversion and lust and greed and pride? Are you willing to stand up for truth and righteousness? And certainly we're not talking about guns and ammo. Because again, Jesus said uh, in, uh, through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being, put, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You know, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you prepared? Because if you're not, you can get ready. And how do you get ready? You, you get into the Word of God. You give your heart to Christ. You, you worship the Lord. And you grow in Him. And that's how you get ready. There's really no easy way around it. Are you willing? Are you willing to fight for the truth? And again, in Zechariah 4, verse 6, one of my favorite verses, says, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. We cannot accomplish anything uh, as a church in physical means alone. Um, Most of what we do is spiritual. The the words that we speak are spiritual. It's a spiritual book, but it does have its witness in the physical because we see the results of a life that's given over to Christ. We see peace, we see love, we see joy, we see peace, uh, compassion. We see all of these things. And I love what Jeremiah said, you know, because this church was being persecuted just like the other churches, and you and I, in this country, we haven't faced persecution in, in a great way yet. But I love what Jeremiah said, or what the Lord said to Jeremiah, actually. He said to him, and this is right before the Babylonians came in to bring captive the, the Judah and Benjamin and Jerusalem. He said this in Jeremiah 12, verse 5. God speaking to Jeremiah. He says, If you have run with the footmen, and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? Because Nebuchadnezzar and his armies had horses, they had chariots, they had a lot of armament. And God is saying to Jeremiah, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in a land of peace in which you trusted, they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of Jordan? The idea is that when things are going really well, you know we ought to be sharing And when it's really easy to do so. But, you know, what's going to happen when things start heating up and things get more difficult and maybe persecution starts to kick in? What are we going to do then? And the only way that we're going to know is if we start doing those things now. If we really start walking uh, with the Lord now, and to a deeper extent even, and and loving on Him and, and getting out there and sharing the truth, telling people about Jesus. People right now in this country and in the world right now, they are scared. They really are scared, and many Christians who are scared too, and, and some of them whose, whose foundation isn't really strong because they're not reading, they're not in fellowship, they're, they're, they're scared, they're scared. And it's, it's, it's good for us to come along and encourage them because they need to be encouraged. They need to be encouraged, and what greater way to do that than getting into the Word of God, because that's the only thing that I know that brings any peace to my heart is to be in the Word of God. Verse 13, again, at the end there, notice he says, You did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was a faithful martyr who was killed among you. So we know that this man was local at that time. He was killed among them. And notice what Jesus says, where Satan dwells, where Satan dwells. One thing that we have to understand about Satan and demons and his fallen angels is they are not omniscient. When we think of omniscience, we think of God. God is, he's omniscient and he's omnipresent. Omnipresence is something... Actually, that's the word I should have used was omnipresent because God can be in all places at once, but it's not true for Satan or for his demons. Satan can only be in one place at one time. Even though he's a spirit, he can only be in one place at one time, unlike the Holy Spirit who can be in all places at once. And that's something that we have to understand about these beings that we're talking about, the difference between God and Satan. Satan is a created being. Uh, we read that in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. But notice in verse 14, let's read the uh, verse 14 and 15. But notice, here comes the rebuke. He says, But I have a few things against you, because you have there at the church those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of of the nicolaitans which thing i hate and so there's two of these different doctrines that the lord hates and we ought to hate as well because it's it's very prevalent these things that we're reading now are very prevalent in the church in the world right now and we're going to look at those things in a few moments but the danger with this church was what was happening from within not so much what was going on from without coming in on the church you know it's been said that if satan cannot beat the church he's more than happy to join it and infiltrate it from within and we see that all over the world we see it in our newspapers every single day and that's why we need to pray for church leaders and pastors keep them in prayer because they are the, they they just have a bigger bullseye on them christian you have a bullseye on you as well because you name the name of christ and you are one of his if you are one of his but make sure you're one of his because if you do does that mean that everything's going to be roses no It's not. In fact, in some instances, things are going to get more difficult for you because now you're going to be really aware of a battle that you never were aware of before. Because most people, before they come to Christ, they're already slain in the battle. They're already uh, Satan's captives. And so there's no battle because there's no resistance. But as soon as resistance shows up on the scene against the devil, you better believe that there is going to be a battle and you're going to feel it and you're going to see it. Uh, being meted out in very natural means, and, and, and we're seeing it all around us. Can you see it? Is it just me? Uh, I, know, I know it's not just me. I know all of you are watching the news. You're, you're seeing things. Believe me, there is a battle going on, and which side of it are you on? Are you on God's side, or are you on the devil's side? And some may say, well, I just do my own thing. Well, if you're doing your own thing and it's not with Christ, you're on the devil's side, you understand? That's why these idols that we were talking about, uh, these temples, it didn't matter to Caesar because Caesar himself was controlled by a demon. And so it didn't matter to him. And Satan doesn't care either. You can worship many gods Because he wants to keep you away from the one true thing, the one true God who can offer salvation. See, that's the root of the devil's hatred toward God. He doesn't care how many people claim to be a god. Sure, you can worship him and you can worship him because in doing so, you're worshiping the spirit behind those things, which is the spirit of Antichrist, the very spirit of Satan. And he doesn't care. He just wants to keep you away from the one. And why is that? Because God loves you. And if God has put his affection on one thing, you know, for God so loved the world, that means the people in the world. That is the object of his affection. And that's the one thing that Satan knows that is the object of God's affection. So what can he do? He can't. uh, All he can do is try to um, deceive those and take them away from God. Because that life is important to God. Your life is important to God. He created you with a purpose. Like you said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, before you were even in the womb, I knew you and I ordained you to be a prophet to the nations. Before you were even conceived, I had a plan for your life. God has a plan for our lives as well. Have you discovered what it is? I pray that you do. Because there's no greater joy. And I'm I'm discovering what the Lord is, um, what He's created me to do. And I'll be honest with you, I'm happier now than I've ever been. I'm more blessed now than I've ever been. I had my own dreams of being a uh believe it or not a a classical guitarist and and being a musician that was my dream and I'm so glad that the Lord got a hold of me because what i get what I get to do now is more important, more exciting more i'm more fulfilled than anything and it's even not about my fulfillment it's just the benefit of it right when a heart that loves christ and and you know the saint you know what I'm talking about. But Satan will infiltrate the church with individuals who have an outward show of piety, but deep down they are perverts and led by uh, perversion and they seduce others to do so. And that's what these, the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, that's really what it's all about. And see, these doctrines, they were hurting the church. Uh, they were hurting the church. And just a little bit of this, or even a whole lot of this stuff in the church is very harmful. Notice what it says to me in 1 Corinthians as Paul was addressing the Corinthian church in the first century. He says, and, and, and he's responding to an issue that was going on in the church at the time. There was a, there was a young man in the church who was having an uh, an affair with his father's wife. And so, and the church, instead of being sad about this and dealing with the issue. Rather they kind of boasted in their liberty of it. And Paul wrote to them in his first letter and he says in First Corinthians five verses six and seven. He says, Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? We know that leaven is yeast, right? That's what women would make. They put leaven in, in dough. That's what that's how we make rolls at home. My wife puts in yeast, she puts a saran wrap over it and she sticks it next to a warm oven. And the, the the yeast begins to ferment, and it begins to grow, and sin is like that. It starts off very small, but then it, whatever organism it is in, even in the organism of the church itself, it starts to spread. It doesn't just stay by itself. And he goes on and he says, Therefore, verse 7, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened, for indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And so he kind of rebukes them about their glorying in this. And he says, but a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And certainly in this church, that is exactly what was happening. And, but but you've got to understand that this doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of Nicolaitans, this is really, really important because we see the effects of it in our life today and in the church Uh, the visible church in the world, we see this. But doctrine, let's talk about that, because doctrine is a belief or a set of beliefs held or taught by a church or some kind of group, a political party, for instance. And uh, doctrine in, in the church is important because what a person holds to or believes is going to determine how that person acts and interprets things around them. So what I believe actually shows itself in my life. And it shows itself on how I react to external stimulus, doesn't it? Because when I read something in the newspaper, I can either freak out, but if I know my Bible, I can interpret that in light of the Word of God. And that's what we ought to do. And so, what a person holds to or believes, it is going to determine how that person acts or interprets things around them. In fact, Kenneth Copeland, who is, uh, in my opinion, a false teacher, he, he actually... Uh, said this on the air. He says, I don't preach doctrine, which the Bible's filled with doctrine, right? It's, about, it's teaching, teaching us about certain things, uh, about important things. He says, I don't preach doctrine, I don't preach doctrine, I preach faith. And it's kind of an unfortunate thing because we need to know Doctrine. We need to know what the Bible says and what it teaches us about Jesus, about us, about God, about everything else in the Bible, about prophecy. We need to know these things. Just knowing faith doesn't get us anywhere unless we have a context for that faith. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 and 19, Peter, the Apostle Peter, spoke about the deceptions of false teachers at the time in the first century, and also it's speaking to us today. Notice what he says. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. And while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also is he brought into bondage. Does that make sense? By who a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. And that's exactly what happened with this early church. And we'll look at more specifically what this doctrine of Balaam is and the doctrine of Nicolaitans in just a few moments. But let's just consider for a moment uh, what we are dealing with even in the the church today or, or even in the last 50 years you know there were people who believed in the in the doctrine of Jim Jones you remember Jim Jones he was the leader of the people's temple cult in Jonestown Guyana in 1978 You remember what he did based on his teaching, based on what he was teaching, his doctrine, what happened? All those people died from poison Kool-Aid that they drank together. And they did that based on what they believed because they were believing a man rather than believing the word of God. This deceiver, this Jim Jones, was the one who led them into this. And they became... Uh, they were overcome by him, weren't they? As it says in Second Peter, By whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. They were brought into bondage by this man's ideas, by his doctrine. And what about in 1993? Remember, 79 people who believed in the doctrine of David Koresh. Remember him from the Branch Davidians. All those people, 79 of them died in a fiery inferno, remember, on their compound in Plano, Texas. They believed in David they believed in His understanding of the Scriptures and, and, and how He twisted them. And they were so aberrant. They, they were comical. And yet they believed it. And unfortunately, these people, unfortunately, they died as a result of what they believed in. So doctrine is important. Wouldn't you agree? Or what about in March 26? This is the last one. In 1997, there was a, a cult called the Heaven's Gate. And 39 people committed suicide as they waited for the comet Hale-Bopp to come through so that they might be taken to mothership. It, it, I mean, it's almost laughable to think of it, but this is what people believe: if they don't believe in Jesus Christ, they will believe in anything. And the devil is a master at deception, and he will use a man who has a lot of charisma. He'll use a man who has some semblance of religion. He'll 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 use a man who has some piety and some you know whatever. And he uses personality and interject his own deception. And then people, and they mix in some truth and a little bit of deception, mix in some truth, and pretty soon you got this recipe for a cult, and the people are hooked in it now. And they'll do anything because they believe it. So doctrine is really, really important. When we think about the doctrine of the rapture, why is that so important to us? Because if I don't believe in the imminency of the rapture, meaning that it could happen at any time, if I don't believe that, then what will happen to me as a person is I will get lazy and I'll no longer share the gospel with people. I'll get lazy and I'll pretend like I've got plenty of time. I won't do anything. I'll just kind of rest on my laurels and, and go up in the mountains somewhere and enjoy a, a, you know, peace and quiet away from the world, totally being ineffective for the kingdom of God. But if, is that, if, if, that's, if that's what I believe, then that will affect what, what I do. But if I do believe in the imminency of the rapture of the church, what does that do? It, it, it encourages me to share the truth. It encourages me to get the gospel message out, which we all are to do. Because remember, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. Uh, Recently, just a few days ago, a friend of mine from college, his name was Dmitry Diachenko, and he was in the guitar department at Stetson University, and me and a a brother uh, in the Lord, his name was Joe Shields, and I, we used to hang out together uh, quite often. And uh, Dmitry... Uh, was one of these guys who, who just very talented. He went on to Hollywood and became a um, uh, an actor uh, uh, He was a rising star really He was in movies with uh, demi moore and with uh, Harrison Ford and uh, Indiana Jones movies. He was in a lot of different things and a very talented musician and, and We just found out that he just passed away he was uh, He had a heart attack or something like that very sudden kind of thing and uh And I remember talking to Dimitri uh right after I had given my heart to Christ in my senior year of college at Stetson University. I remember talking to him, and at the time he kind of scoffed at it, but I'm hoping that maybe uh sometime uh, that he gave his heart to Christ because what an awful loss of a life of a very talented very talented man, and how he could have been such a great tool in the hand of the lord and so I'll certainly miss him, but uh, it was just such a horrible thing to hear. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about doctrine? Let me just give you a couple of verses here. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9, doctrine is important. So when we talk about this doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of Nicolaitans, which we're, we're going to be getting into here some week now, <laughs> in Titus chapter 1, verse 9, what does Titus say? Or what does Paul say to Titus, I'm sorry? He says, Hold fast the faithful word as as has been taught, that you may be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convict those who contradict. And so, by sound doctrine, and Titus, again, in the next chapter after that, verses 1 through 3, what does uh, Paul say to Titus? He says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Sound doctrine, that the older men may be sober, they may be reverent, temperate, sound in faith, and love, and in patience.
0: I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Revelation.